Hello and welcome to episode 174 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, is the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, as always, good to see your face. It's, it's so oval, your face. It's such a, the jawline's looking really good, I gotta say, Stan. Thanks. Uh, I'll tell you the secret to my jawline in the, the commercial break. Okay. I've got, I've got some prime content for that, actually. The commercial tease. Now, the biggest tease in the industry is, of course, our godfather, Dave Harbarger. Dave, looking sexy <laughs> as usual. Hey, thanks, everybody. <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> Dave, how was, how was your camping? It was great. I have a little story for my camping trip, though. Oh, man. Can't wait. Okay. Guild base himself is here. Oh wow, Dave! The, Dave's college friends ask him to play a gig. Now he won't stop slapping, <laughs> slapping the four string. Now we can't see your hands. Are you using a pick or are you using your fingies? Oh, I'm slapping. You're slapping? Now I can't hold I, it because it's in a bad position now. But yeah, slapping. I've seen Dave actually play the bass like three times in my life, and I've known the man for like 36 years. Dave, where is this gig? I, I want to go. It's just at someone's house. Um, well, I'll, I'll be there. Just so you all know, this is recorded in stereo. So that bass is a separate track, kind of. I'm <laughs> sure there's some bleed into my microphone, but hopefully we'll be able to master it pretty good. <laughs> this is not a camping story, though. Unless you brought your... Did you bring your bass to the forest? Well, I wanted to play the Seinfeld theme because, you know, I went into... I went into... Uh, I just... So I went into a store. I went into the, a certain castle in Kenosha. You guys mm, know about the, the castle, castle in Kenosha? Oh, yeah. man. How, mu- how much how much New Glarus beer you bring home? Uh, I brought $70 worth of New Glarus beer home, which is <laughs> not, like as four much, cases. not as much as it used to buy. It's, you know what? It's oh, four six-packs. $40 a case at Marsh Cheese Castle. So uh, Lord. they get they you on the way out there. Of yeah, I know. That's for sure. Oh, I mean, don't, you know, don't throw shit. Mar- it's so conveniently Mar- located. Cool. Mars yeah. Castle, get at us. They, Mar- have, cool. they have a bar. For people yeah, yeah. who need to have a drink on the highway, they got Ritz crackers and cheese bread, the, like the Ace of Spades cheese bread. Oh man, I didn't do that this time. I was with my my oldest son, my oldest son who had little patience after camping for not having screen time. So we were making our way back to Chicago, went into the Cheese Castle, paying for the beers. The guy carded me, and he cool. says, "I was like, okay, here it is." And he goes, "I knew it was a fake," and he's like <laughs> kidding with me. And I go, "Look," I said, "I'm almost." I'm more than double 21. And he goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, you, you could be almost like two 21s. And I'm like, yeah, I am. And he goes, um, my son goes, yeah, my dad is old. <laughs> <laughs> and then the guy goes, oh, he doesn't say my dad is old. Sorry, I blew the story. He says, yeah, he's old is what, what my son said. And then the guy behind the counter goes, yeah, well, you know what my grandpa used to say to me all the time is, it's you that makes me feel old. And he goes, and then he looks at me and he goes, my, gr- my grandpa used to say that to me all the time, too, implying, I think, that he thought w- that I was my child's grandfather and not, <laughs> not father. It could be as possible. What's the deal David? with millennials thinking 43-year-olds can be grand- granddads? I mean, you can be. <laughs> Just rolls off the base. <laughs> yeah, in case you can't tell, this episode is going to be fast and loose. All right, I'm putting this away. I just, I, I literally just learned the Seinfeld 
the song just uh, for that bit. So uh, I like that you you had it off camera, so that I had no, <laughs> no idea. How about for the wind down? You you grab the bass, I grab the guitar, and we lay down some tracks. It's got a glockenspiel built into it. I think we should do it. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna turn that track down. I hope this doesn't screw everything up, but we do have a backup at least, so that should yeah, be good. Don't screw it up. Okay, so. This is what everyone's here for, our, our long, drawn-out intros before That's we get into right. the Magic the Gathering content. So Yes, on this week's show, we are going to break down as many as four tournaments and try to talk about some bands that occurred last week. Then we will dive into Shane flying his freak flag with more Ledger Shredder decks in various formats. We asked him not to, and he refused our pleas. You can't stop me. I play what I like, like Apple Jacks, baby. Meanwhile, I tried to figure out if Winoda was a real deck, or really just a fever dream that we've all collectively manifested in our hive mind. And uh, Dave is just going to provide base accompaniment throughout that show, because I guess there's no sanctioned magic tournaments in the woods of Wisconsin? That's right. We really need more music beds in our episode. Like, people have been clamoring for just like the, the you know, just the low-level... 10 decibel music the whole time. If there's one thing people love in two hour long podcasts, it's a music bed that repeats itself over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We don't have any music, I think, for this next section. It's just housekeeping. Good old fashioned, dry housekeeping. Shout out to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. We got Ben S. and Leah J. Thank you. Thank you. We also got a new review from Joey Pasco. What a review it is. So generous. So many, so many nice words, Joey. Joey from Yo MTG Taps. You know, when the podcasters are, are, you know, speaking highly of other podcasters, that's how you know you've made it. Right. Especially one as established as Yo MTG Taps. Also, please check out Joey and Yo MTG Taps. You know what Joey's been talking about a lot about lately on uh, Twitter is a new format that we'll probably never get to, but maybe someday called pre-modern that apparently a lot of people <laughs> in my particular age, age of magic bracket are really <laughs> enjoying right now. One of my old cards. Yeah. Well, I saw Mike Flores... Played in a re- recent tournament, a Jackal Pup, Curse Scroll, Fire Blast, Red Deck. Uh, that's some warm memories there, if any of you were around for that particular era. But, so uh, this is kind of like for, unlike Pioneer, which is not really the best standard archetypes existing in an extended format. This is just play the old decks that you remember and like. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but he came in like seventh place or something, I don't know. Curse Scroll, good card. Today I learned. If you'd like to support the show... You can check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Gets you into our Discord, gets you some extra swag. Right now, we're planning an Explorer tournament. We're trying to hijack the MTG Goldfish Explorer metagame page. Yeah, we're just going to form the metagame page. We just have all the tournaments, and everyone just looks at our results. I do suspect that by the time you're hearing this, if, if this comes out on Thursday, the tournament might be happening that night. There's also a chance that by the time you hear this, the tournament is over, but... There are many tournaments, past, present, and future, happening on the Discord, so check that out. We'll start to figure out like what mode you put your deck in and the challenge in so that you actually can sideboard with 15 cards, but we'll figure that out. When is spectator mode launching? Any day now. Yeah, okay. We're also brought to you by Mana Traders. We talk about Mana Traders every week. We use Mana Traders every week. I currently have like 147 cards rented from Mana Traders. Heck yeah. Uh, you know, A couple decks I've been messing around with, and they're the best. We have a new code before you skip past this the new code is the dive down 15 those are numbers 
the dive down one five is our new code. You know, they got to rotate through these codes now and then because they, they kind of spread to the coupon sites so like to rotate those. So if you want to get 15% off, see how we did there? The first two months of your Manitrader's service, use signup code the dive down 15. That helps us out. Manitrader's is a site we've used for over three years to really bring you this podcast. So we are thankful to them for working with us and for making that happen. We had a much too long conversation about what that new code was going to be too. And then, and then <laughs> we finally the just like, one. let's just put 15 at the end and call it a day. Maybe next year it can be like the dive down 2023 for a while. We'll see. We'll see how long we can keep this going. Mm-hmm. So Stanislav. Stanislav. I believe we have you on the news desk for the breakdown this week. Oh, sure. How about, let's start with some actual news. We got our first round of Explorer bands on May 11th. That was fast. Was anyone else surprised by, I know we're going to talk about this, but was anyone else surprised by this being an Explorer only ban? Like, I did not really think that was going to happen. And then here we are. We don't have to talk about justification or anything, but I I was surprised. Yeah, that's the real conversation, I think. And yeah, I I agree. I was surprised. But let's talk about what we're surprised about. Yeah. and, And whether or not there actually is a justification. May 11th, Explorer ban, Winota, Joiner of Forces, and Tybalt's Trickery. That's it. That's the tweet. Wizards explains that Winota is a known powerhouse. She allows aggressive decks to quickly present overwhelming boards against unprepared opponents. Who's unprepared? You came to play Magic. You have to be prepared. At all times. You put 60 cards in your deck. You did some (laughs) level of preparation. (laughs) Although decks centered around Winota currently coexist alongside other variable, viable archetypes within the full Pioneer format... She has proven to be just as effective when working within the confines of Explorer's smaller card pool. So that's an interesting little distinction there. Just as effective in the smaller card pool. As if to say they have power level expectations for Explorer to be different than Pioneer just because of the card pool. I guess it makes some intuitive sense, but it's kind of like putting a foot down that I don't think they ever did explicitly about their expectations for Explorer being something other than a a temporary solve. Yeah, on the playing pioneer slash playing explorer website which if you're a fan of either of those formats you should check out i i don't know where they're getting this data it may be from their own data or maybe something involved in like untapped or something like that but they saw that winota had like a 60 higher than 60 percent win rate both in best of one and best of three i believe Mm -hmm. so they they quoted numbers on and they did not quote that in this article i've noticed but I think it's safe to say if they were moving this quickly that Winota was ruling the roost. Yeah, and this article essentially confirms part of that. It says decks built around her are showing both an extreme amount of play and high win rates across Explorer game modes. So I guess that means best of one and best of three. And the card has quickly dominated the format. As a result, Winota is banned in Explorer. Now here's the real interesting part. The next paragraph. As this is our first Explorer ban since the format's launch, we want to reaffirm our intentions that cards banned specifically in this format will become playable again as we realign the ban list to match Pioneer. One of Explorer's primary goals is fidelity to the Pioneer experience. Fidelio, eyes wide shut. So we intend to maintain this ban for as long as it proves necessary. When additional cards are introduced to the format, they will naturally change Winota's relative standing as such. We currently plan to unban Winota and reevaluate her position shortly after the release of Dominaria United this fall. What a weird called shot. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like to not just say, Hey, we're going to evaluate this as more cards get added to the format as it becomes more even and closer to mirroring pioneer, then we can reevaluate its cards place, this cards place in the format. But no, they're just like, we plan to do this. We're after the, the release of Dominaria United this fall. Like they're just like, Hey, just, uh, that's what's going to happen. Deal with it. I do like that they're saying they're going to give it another try, right? There are a bunch of people who love playing Winota. There's a lot of people who just invested in it. I think it's nice of them to say, hey, look, we're going to take another look and see if it's if the removal suite in um, Dominaria United is powerful enough to help bridge that gap until we get to full Pioneer. Because they didn't ban it in Pioneer, so. Mm-hmm. And I believe that this paragraph sort of presupposes that Winota will remain unbanned in Pioneer. I think the other thing that this doesn't say that is worth keeping in mind is Explorer is going to change in addition to the addition of Dominaria United because they've already said there will be Pioneer cards in the next historic anthology. So I think there's also that expansion to the Explorer format happening as it becomes a little bit closer to the actual Pioneer format. I mean, the real question I have is what is keeping Winota in check more or less in Pioneer that doesn't exist in Explorer? And we have like cards like Rending Volley, but there's plenty of options to take care of Winota in red already, uh, like Red Cap Melee, things like that. Yeah, it's just that Rending Volley has additional applications. You can use it against blue decks, which is kind of a nice thing that you can you can do in that in that case. And um, you know, you do it with only uh, Red Cap Melee. You're kind of stuck with that one answer. I don't think it's specific cards as much as actual Pioneer has decks that help keep. Winota in check. Does it really? I mean, I, I cl- it clearly does. Like, Winota's not like every top eight and things like that, right? But fully powered Winota in Pioneer is just a, it's just a brutal deck and it's just so effective and so reliable. And Winota's just such a stupidly designed card that shouldn't have been printed as such. <laughs> and it's just like, it's just bad. It's just not a good card. I agree with that. I, I don't, I think the fact that it basically has haste is like bananas where you can attack with a creature after you play it and get the triggers is. Yeah, it's wild. You know what else is wild? Tibble's Trickery, banned in Pioneer, or rather, not banned in Pioneer, banned in Explorer. And they even say that since Tibble's Trickery is currently not a mainstay in Pioneer, this ban will not be reevaluated as aggressively as Winota's. Players can expect a follow-up by the time MTG Arena formally switches from Explorer to Pioneer, or if Trickery decks become more a more relevant pillar of the Pioneer metagame, whichever comes first. Barring that, changes to its legality will not be top priority before then. Yeah, because best of one exists, this card's never getting unbanned. <laughs> yeah, which is good because this card serves no good purpose. <laughs> yeah, that's true. it's it's chaotic evil. Yes, it really is. It's like the the worst of the worst. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of this deck because I have been trying my dangdest, excuse my language, to be playing real MTG on Arena. So like, no best of one. So trickery decks are not really in best of three at all but uh i did i think i did mess around with a little best of one just to kill some time one day and i just saw it like twice pretty much immediately and it's just like no god no i i played my fair share of best of one explorer and i think i may have run into it maybe once it's just not that popular it's just annoying enough to just be like get this out of here maybe all right cool cool bands uh we'll talk about winota some more in the actual dive down section i guess to, to close out this little part is there anything else that you guys think Maybe Explorer players should be on the lookout for forthcoming Explorer bands in terms of lopsided power levels between the Arena metagame and the actual Pioneer paper metagame. I haven't been playing, I've been playing a lot of Explorer, and there's nothing that I think has been like, has felt really 
busted to me. Like a lot of the over the top tools have counterplay, they have counter magic that can stymie their development. Uh, I think now that Winota is gone, the enemy number one of, of sort of creature combo can really get out of there. And I think I felt like things have been felt pretty balanced and nothing's felt truly broken, but uh, I have to, I've, I'm curious what happens as we get more data into like the untapped data environment and just kind of see what's really happening. I guess Grease Fang is the closest second. I honestly feel like Grease Fang has a lot of the same issues that Winota has. And we can talk about that as we get into these pioneer challenges, I think. But I think it's clearly not quite as bad. I think it's harder for that deck to win with, with the other pieces. And I'm sure we'll talk about that during your dive down segment about like how just how Winota is winning and different angles of attack that deck has. So I think by and large, I think Explorer feels pretty darn safe, pretty darn even. A, a lot of decks that are close in power level, thankfully. Cool, cool, cool. All right, let's take a look at some top eights here. I've I've spelled out four of them. We'll see if we actually get through them all. We got Saturday and Sunday Pioneer Challenges, Saturday and Sunday Modern Challenges. And let's start with the Saturday Pioneer event. Just looking at the top eight. First place, Martyr Grease Fling by Spock Vidaloka. Yeah, this deck's good. So this is the, what, Mardu variant, right? Not the Esper variant. Sure. Yeah. And so... Agreed. Yes. Well, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that they prefer the Esper version of this deck, but whenever I'm playing against the Mardu version in Explorer, especially, it's just it's so consistent and so brutal. Like, mm -hmm. there's just so many ways for it to get cards in the graveyard, like Blood Tokens and Fable of the Mirror Breaker and Citrus Supplier. They're all helping you out there. And then if you happen to remove their Grease Fang when they resolve it, then they have ways to get that back onto the battlefield. Um, like can't stay away, which operates from both hand and then from the graveyard. So you could just effectively get two cards for one. Store and Vengeful Bloodlord can recur Grease Fang as well. And that's pretty annoying, especially because Grease Fang has three power and it's three mana. So it avoids like the instant speed removal that would be in red by default. It avoids a fatal push without revolt. And so that's just pretty brutal. And then, you know, sideboard, you'll have your removal taken out of your hand with Thoughtseize. They make sure the coast is clear. If you have any, like, creature counter magic or something like that, then that works. And then I think this deck pivots to a solid mid-range plan just fine out of the sideboard. Like, it has Graveyard Trespassers, Thoughtseizes, Go Blanks, which is just a high-value card for grindy matchups. Portable Hole is good for small permanent removal. Fatal Push out of the board to go up to a full four. And I think this deck can win just a normal game of Magic. Yeah. Between this and Winota, because doesn't Grafdigger's Cage shut down Winota's trigger? Yes. So Cage, yeah, Cage would stop this and stop Winota. Yeah. So between this Winota and is it Phoenix? Like, I feel like Cage is just kind of the premier graveyard hate card right now. Yeah, it might be being underplayed. Of course, this deck has ways to remove that permanent, but it does kind of rely on a, a portable hole mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. It's weird to me that this one, this one versus the Esper one is pretty interesting too, just because it's so much more mid-rangey, I guess. And the Esper one has, you know, you do you miss out on that. What's the blue black card that we told Stan was terrible? We know, the we know the one. Yeah. Yeah, the it, one. It, yeah. Spill the juice. Spill the juice. Yeah, you miss out on spill the juice. So you don't have that instant <laughs> speed discard 
Um, I mean, it's it's fascinating though to see the cards that they chose they chose here. You know, you get Fable, which is nice. The red cards are Bloodmakers, basically Voldaren, Epicure, and Blood Tithe Harvester, and then Kroxa and one Lightning Axe. Mm-hmm. And I guess that the big payoff here really is the Blood creatures that give you a stable way to make sure that you can discard a card all the time. Yeah, it's super reliable I, in terms of the discard outlet end of things and they're also just doing damage on the battlefield it's one of those things where it's like you could hold up removal forever against uh the grease fang and they can just kind of chip you to death with even Voldarian epic here for a couple turns plus the one damage it does on etb and then blood tide harvester is a three damage two power creature so i think the other thing interesting is that this is like the best performance we've seen for this deck and it's not even on the pioneer metagame page for uh, or on mtg goldfish yet and if you look at like past results it's a lot of league performances um and like the sunday challenge only had one marjorie greasefang deck in 15th place and then otherwise like it's not necessarily like dominating these events it's just kind of this league mainstay that i think we have a disproportionately high exposure to because we're also playing explorer where it's more popular it probably experiences some splash hate from Naya or Winota, like you said, Stan, where it's like people probably have more cages per deck than they have on Explorer, especially now that people don't have to worry about Naya as much in Explorer. So they're going to shave that even more. And I also, I think that potentially Mono Green Ramp has a better way to lock out Grease Fang, perhaps, or like tutor up uh, things from out of the sideboard. And Mono Green Ramp is just effectively not the same deck at all in Explorer. So I could mm-hmm. be wrong there, but I, that's one thing I'm thinking about just because of the way that, I mean, Karn also stops the crewing of, mm-hmm. you know, of the, the artifacts, Parhelion itself. So that's kind of a big deal. Second place, we've got Island Go Same with Mono Red Aggro, which is, at least this list, full of questionable cards that you kind of have to play. It's a couple of spike field hazards, three lightning strike it's so annoying. So I, th- I think there's a couple of reasons why you <laughs> why why you play these cards. Spike Field Hazard. I think this just is a concession to how powerful turn one mana dorks are in the format right now. Yeah, especially if you want to make your Winota matchup any good at all, it's good to have a couple extra cards for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't hurt that it's like you know in a pinch it's a land, but it's also just a prowess trigger. Like if you're against a really slow deck and you just want to get some damage in, or like you said, the mana dorks or small creatures, why not? Yeah. Yeah, and then Shane, you pointed out that Lightning Strike hits Grease Fang, which I think is also important enough, perhaps. Literally the only reason the card is here, I think, is because of that fact. Third place, Boros Aggro by Hamuda. Featuring a new card, Illuminator Virtuoso from Nukapena. This is a one and a white human rogue. One, one, double strike. And when it becomes a target of a spell you control, it connives. So... You loot, and then if you discard a non-land card, you put a 1-1 counter on the Virtuoso. Yeah, n- another another value connive target, why not? I, I, yeah. I also thought it was interesting that this list is essentially unchanged from the Luris version of the deck, except it has some feathers in the sideboard now. Yeah, it's got a couple other new cards from the last time I paid attention to it, namely Homestead Courage, which is not a card that I saw before. Uh, Midnight Hunt, but it's a cheap cheap card to put a counter on. It's got flashbacks, so I think that that's a nice card for this deck as well. I'm I'm excited to try this deck. Honestly, this is the type of you know I was playing Feather before, then Luris came along, made it not great. Now now I get to try it again. 
Yeah, it actually had a decent weekend, so maybe there, there's more to borrow Sagra than meets the eye. Fourth place, Fazgar playing Mono Green Devotion. I did not notice any new cards in this big green deck. Up to two Pelucranos, World Eater. Always happy to see more Pelucranos in my life. But yeah, more or less, it's Mono Green. Fifth place, Stream on, is it Phoenix? Four Phoenix, four Ledger, 19 lands, and 33 spells. Looks like Phoenix. Looks like the new Phoenix. The weirdest thing to me about this deck still is how many twos and ones and threes <laughs> there are in, are in this, these yes. lists right now. It's wild. One chart, of course. Three strangle, what, two one? spell pierce, Whoa. one flame blessed bolt, two treasure cruise, two temporal trespass, three pieces of the puzzle. It's wild. Is, is one chart, of course, kind of where this deck has turned to in Pioneer? I, I'm not sure overall, but yeah, it's a lot of... Uh, just a lot of non-complete play sets. This is a very <laughs> ugly deck list. It's either completely tuned or somebody who's trying a lot of stuff out. I, I suspect it's probably completely tuned. I mean, it's also easier to play ones, twos, and threes when you have eight one-mana cantrips. Exactly. And, yeah. and four expressive iteration to just tear through your deck and find everything that you need. All right, sixth place, Naya Winoda. Dave, you're going to like this. Nice clean list. All four ofs. Perfect. Except, except for that Kenrith. Except one of Kenrith. This is basically the main deck that I played for our dive down section. Sweet. Seventh place, back from the dead. It's Bant Spirits, played by Deject. Spooky Friends, only green card is Coco. Spellqueller is another seemingly good answer to both Winota and Greasefang. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, yeah, you, you keep up mana. You have other other options you have for flashing things in. Like, I guess if you have Rattle Chains down, everything does. And you could always do Coco. Yeah, I mean, that's the big key to, to Spirits is Rattle Chains and Protect it so that you can play at instant speed is a hu- huge part of your game plan, regardless of what variant you're doing at this point. I know on an early episode where we talk about Spirits, I said Rattle Chains wasn't a big deal. I'm very wrong. I was very wrong <laughs> two, year, two or three years ago. I, it's It's one of the best cards in the deck. It's basically Cryptic Command. So, you know. Big of you to finally admit that, Dave. It's too bad that, like, this is one of the decks that I look at and really want, of course, I mean, people talk about this all the time, but I really want more of these tools to end up in Explorer sooner rather than later. So we get Spell Queller and Selfless Spirit and Mausoleum Wanderer all missing in action right now. All right, and then finally in eighth place, we got Winoda. Pretty similar to the sixth place list, except it's running three Fables to make room for a one of selfless spirit, little extra protection to keep your Winota sticking around, or your mana dorks, and another Winota enabler as well. Right on. If you look at the actual metagame, Winota and Rakdos were the two most popular decks in the format, or, or at least in the top 32 of this event. Uh, between the two of them, they account for uh, 25% of the field. Wowee. Yeah, we didn't see any Rakdos in the top eight, but pretty top heavy there. Likewise, um, the next most popular deck was, in fact, Mono Red Aggro. Yeah, this doesn't really surprise me. I feel like people feel like Rakdos midrange is kind of safe. I think people like kind of dipping their toes back into Pioneer or just being like, hey, this is a, I can play a style of deck like this and do decently, probably, based on what I'm seeing in the, on the like, MTG Goldfish and stuff like that. Might as well just play it. And then Mono Red Aggro, there's always going to be fans of that style of deck, too. So Here's one that actually kind of stood out to me the most played card in the top 32 was fable of the mirror breaker with 33 copies that card's good this is very not surprising to me gotta be gotta be honest i uh go on 
I just I just feel like anecdotally, since Explorer started, since I started playing a little bit more Pioneer and stuff, it's like every deck runs Fable of the Mirror Breaker. It's like yeah. the best cantrip in the format, which is it's not really a cantrip. It's like the best value engine, I guess, in the format. It's three mana for two creatures and draw two, discard two is just absurd. Is this a fair card? I, I would define find it as a card. fair card. Yeah. This is a fair card? Yeah. I, I wonder if this is just like the best fair card right now. I think it's the best fair card in, in like Pioneer and Explorer for sure. Right. Sure. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the best fair card is probably expressive, expressive iteration, iteration and then yeah. this one, but this one's one color, so you can put it in more decks. I mean, expressive iteration didn't even scratch the top ten most played cards. Yeah. Well, clearly it's terrible. So let's just ship them, sell them all to me. Who wants Numbers to sell me your expressive iterations? Yeah. All right, Stan. I'll, I'll take. I'll give you a breather while we go through the Sunday Pioneer Challenge. How about that? Because it's not as interesting. Please do. Although we do start with the deck I just said was totally adequate but sometimes you get there we get Rakdos midrange by zerk in first place you know value pile no uh obnixilis in the side which i think is no obnixilis in the 75 altogether which i think is probably where you want to be with this deck i think you have enough tools against control decks to get there where you don't just sort of need hey if i have obnixilis i'm, I'm even better against control like you have planeswalkers and you have hand interaction and fable the mirror breaker and all that good stuff so you're pretty well insulated there Second place, we have Citizen of Nerdvana on <laughs> on Winota. Looks like Winota, pretty similar to uh, one of the other lists I think we saw in Saturday. Singleton Blade Historian, no Kenrith. Yeah, can do you all know? Well, I guess maybe Stan will talk about this later. The difference between running Kenrith and running Blade Historian is that that seems to be like the one ups that people are trying. That's what I noticed in the first the list versus this one. And the ones I've played against. I've played against Blade Historian a bunch of times, it seems like. So, although I did not play, play with Blade Historian, Kenrith is just kind of a strong beater on its own that can generate man value if you have additional mana, whereas Blade Historian, a little easier to kill, uh, a little easier to cast, but it also just makes your entire board hit harder. So, with um, a good Winota hit and one that includes Blade Historian, you're a bit more likely to just like win on the spot, whereas Kenrith might set you up to take like an extra turn to, to swing again, assuming you your opponent doesn't scoop. Third place, we have Scotter TF2 uh, on the Boros aggro deck that we talked about on Saturday. Fourth place, we have, is it Prowess? This is a deck I believe I talked a little bit about last week, and it seems like it is sweeping the nation this week. It's the, you know, Swiss Spear, Soulscar Mage, Ledger Shredder, Sprite Dragon, and a pile of cheap is it spells, including Reckless Rage for, you know, your Unholy Heat <laughs> type effect. Nowhere near as good as Unholy Heat, unfortunately. But yeah, that's a it's a good deck. Doing well here with Stomp the Horizon in fourth place. Fifth place, we have Poker's Wizard. I haven't heard that name in a minute, but they are back here. Fifth place, again, with Boros Aggro. This is a slightly different looking list, but still extremely similar. Has the four Illuminator Virtu Virtuoso for that easy connive trigger then in sixth place we have pascal maynard on mono blue spirit so pascal likes this deck enough you know what's funny is like i thought for some reason that like this wasn't actually pascal maynard like someone just uses pascal's <laughs> name as their magic online handle but i think it actually is pascal right i mean no one would be doing this well unless they were actually pascal probably not so yeah mono blue spirits 
doing quite well. This is a deck that I know you've been uh, interested in or playing a little bit, right, Dave? Yeah, Or you've definitely. only been doing that in Explorer. Explorer, but this is so close to Explorer, uh, especially when you get to this. I mean, Mausoleum Wanderer is in this list. Of course, that's not an expo uh, Explorer, but I think almost everything else in here, in the main deck at least, is. Yeah. Um, Stan, you've been playing this too, right? Yeah, uh, just, in, just on Arena, though. A card I've been seeing pop up in some of these lists uh, also in kind of the is it prowessy style builds is a fading hope mm -hmm. and this is a card that i don't remember talking about it's an instant single blue mana return target creature to its owner's hand if the mana value is three or less scry one so it's kind of a uh what vapor snag type effect but you also get value uh, with the scry instead of the opponent loses one life or some or controller loses one life whatever that is so it can yep. save your own creatures with scry value it can remove your opponent's creatures uh it also works against grease fang to buy you like a turn sometimes that's enough especially for spirits where you yes. just have so many such a strong attack sometimes dave can we take a second to to acknowledge zoomer shane calling that a vapor snag effect i know come on so uh, clearly an unsummon. unsummon oh yeah my bad Alpha card, man. Alpha card. Shane, if you want me to buy you like beer and cigarettes sometimes, just let me know. It's no trouble. <laughs> How about both? <laughs> All right. Seventh place, we got Ardos on Mono Green Walkers. Looks like Mono Green Walkers to me. Eighth place, we have Hirotsukai on Mono Blue Spirits. Okay. So we've got two Mono Blue Spirits in the top eight alone. I'm, worth noting, I don't, I, we might be looking at the meta breakdown of this one in a minute. Yes, we are. But the the Bant Spirits was 6.3% of the top 32 of the previous event as well. And it looks like Mono Blue Spirits is 6.3% of this one as well, which places it squarely in the kind of like top 10 of decks right now. So mm -hmm. I feel like people are picking up Spirits all over the place right now. I mean, Hirotsukai is still really doing the best with it consistently, but lots more players are starting to have results. Yeah. I mean, it's frustrating to play against. I think it is one of those decks that you can get really good at, right? Because there's a lot of tricky lines, tricky interactions, knowing when to deploy threats, hold stuff back, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Witness protection. Got to place out of those. Right Find on. Some. Speaking so of our, this metagame breakdown, yeah. Shane, I, I'm, I'm taking numbers. You said that this tournament isn't as interesting. I disagree, man. The top deck in this event was Is It Prowess? Yeah, I mean, that... that Outside the top 32, stuff gets, I mean, excuse me, inside the top 32, stuff gets interesting outside the top eight. Yeah, Is It Prowess, I think, is a, is a huge up-and-comer in the format. People are seeing results and, and identifying that it's a, it's a cool deck with a cool game plan. So I'm all for it. I enjoy it. Yeah, in fact, um, I think on the heels of Is It Prowess, Swift Spear was the most played card in this event. And it's just Ooh. like, if you, if you look at the top cards, it's... Swift Spear, Consider, Op, Soulscar Mage, Ledger Shredder, <laughs> Play With Fire, Reckless Rage, Dispute, Expressive Iteration, Red Cat Melee. Were you, only, <laughs> were you only filtering by those decks, Dan? No. Is that no. a filter you can do? Yes. But yeah, this was like the Is It tournament, it feels like. Because in addition to Prowess, there is also a couple Is It Phoenix decks. Yeah. So I want to quickly point out a couple cool, uh, cool decks inked for Pioneer. Uh, we're not going to go too deep in them because we want to talk about modern as well. But I saw a 17th place deck from Claudio running Jun Midrange, not uh, Claudio to Light or Niv to Claudio or however you want to call it. But uh, I mean, I don't even know how to get into this to this list because it's just like it's 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 all over the place. It's a lot of one and two ofs. 
Well, one thing I would suggest is, so the mid-range deck that we talk about a lot is Rakdos. How different is this than Rakdos? Just so people understand. Pretty different. It's pretty different, right? Like I'm looking at the list right now. It's it's pretty extremely different, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's so it's it's definitely running some interesting choices. With like with a couple Cedar Wayfinder, a Singleton Bloodthirsty Adversary, a Singleton Scavenging News, a Gloom Shrieker, which is just like a three mana two one that does like a, re- a recursion of target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. I'm like looking for some kind of combo that i'm missing but i think it's just like high value where it's just like there's traverse the uvenwald there's ishkana graf widow kalidas singleton tireless tracker singleton clothis so i think it can be like recur permanents like that are of high value out of your graveyard perhaps and then like or traverse for them it's a wild one wild i'm looking at this and when i glanced at it, i was like is lutri in the sideboard there's so many one ofs <laughs> in this deck yeah, I'm curious. I didn't see Claudio tweet about this, but I'm curious going to their Twitter and just being like, did they say anything about this deck? And Stan, you had to see this uh, Golgari Elves list in 27th place on the Saturday Challenge, right? Uh, I saw it, or I guess you could say I, I've seen it. Yeah. Thoughts? <laughs> Looks cool. Yeah, I mean... Four Gala Greeters. Four Gala Greeters. And, and I think that's probably the most interesting thing here, combining Greeters with both Dwinnin's Elite as well as Elvish Warmaster, just to... I think trigger them like crazy. Um, I also really like that this is running a playset of Steel Leaf Champion, although I never had success with Elves and Pioneer. Um, in the earliest days of Pioneer, I did brew with it a little bit when it was like the true Wild West format. And I did always find that like a turn two Steel Leaf Champion was actually kind of just a good enough threat in a lot of matchups, um, both because it's hard to remove and has some built-in evasion against other early creatures. So I think we're actually been seeing a little bit more elves and pioneer just kind of like on the outskirts of these challenges and appearing in leagues. So maybe maybe there's some further iteration to be to be done here to make it a more reliable aggro deck that wins with Shaman of the Pack sometimes. The, I, the one thing I'll add here is the thing that I'm a little surprised is missing is Circle of Dreams Druid as like a big mana engine because that's your Elvish Archdruid impersonator, though it's not a lord, and it only has one toughness. Mm-hmm. It, it does tap for a lot of mana if it sticks around, but maybe there's too much mono red and phoenix and prowess running around right now to, to actually let that thing stick around. All right. You think we have time for uh, one or two of these modern challenges? We should do it. Let's do it. Saturday Modern Challenge, first place, Murktide Regent, shaving a Dragon Raid Channeler, um, and also making room for two Ledger Shredders. There's another deck that's been flowing around um, that I think is like 13th place in either the Saturday or Sunday challenge, which is cutting all DRCs for four Shredders and like a Snapcaster Mage. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Which is a pretty cool combo. Wow. But yeah. I mean, Ledger Shredder, people are starting to love it. I, I even saw Michael Rapp, Shadow Scientist, today talking about how he's been playing uh, Murktide a lot lately and he said that he felt like he wants more ledger shredders than murktides in the deck like he wants to cut ledger shredder or murktides to fit more ledger shredders i was like wow okay 15 dollar card like, by the way 15 dollars 15 dollars wow. now oh my god cool i still need one more second place canister on four color living end deck seems good all right here's here's i think probably the most interesting deck from the weekend third place selesniel on naya combos 
And what are those combos, Stan? Well, it's just all the combos, Dave. All the Naya combos, such we, as Splinter Twin. We, <laughs> we have Splinter Twin, except it's Kiki Jiki plus Felidar Guardian. Um, but we also have uh, Plane Bound Accomplice with Vivian on the Hunt. We've got um, Devoted Druid plus Luxior, Giada's Gift. Why not play four Karn the Great Creator for, you know, the, the Liquid Metal Coating Wombo Combo? Or Luxior out of the board, too. Yeah, and there's another Luxior on the board. It, doesn't Karma Guide do something with the Vivian combo as well, or is that a whole other yeah, combo? Yeah, Karma, Karma Guide is part of the Vivian combo, yeah. Gotcha. I, I don't even know what to say. Good Hello. cards, <laughs> good cards, good pile, three bolt, one unholy heat. Yeah, I love this deck. It's only 60 cards. You know, main your deck, I don't have to do like a Yorian thing. I can just actually play a normal deck, or <laughs> if you could call this deck normal. It's just an incredible idea, I feel like, to just take all these combos that sort of have half good cards in them together and seeing putting it together and seeing how it goes mm-hmm. and uh feels like maybe it goes okay it does feel like the plane bound accomplice vivian combo is pretty like fragile in this one like there's not a ton of you know there's no redundant pieces in it it's like if you start the chain and they kill one of your creatures you're just off onto your other plan which maybe is okay but um a lot of backup plans. You can just switch from that over into Devoted Druid. You can switch from that over into Karn if you need to, and just try to walking ballista someone to death if you get a bunch of mana going. So there's just a lot, a lot of different things to go with. Yeah. I'm surprised that this doesn't have Sahili Rai. It's almost like why not have the Felidar Guardian Sahili combo thing go on? There's only one Felidar though. So I think that if you want it, you want kind of all the pieces of that to yeah. get a little extra value. Is is Vivian good on her own? I feel like this list might hinge on Vivian being passable on her own. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, maybe occasionally I just do this and play play her minus where I make a warrior and that's enough for me to block something else to like buy some time. So maybe you in a deck like this you get to use more pieces of Vivian instead of just trying to like turbo pod, basically. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you still have a lot of ramp in this deck you've got a noble hierarch you've got ragavan and you've got devoted druid which you can play as kind of a bad elf if you want to and you can even minus you know put a counter on it for value and just not work you know use it twice in a turn and not worry about the fact that you're close to killing it to be able to get to push things out farther faster if you want to so um you can see how the pieces fit together if you choose to look yeah i mean are you would you ever pick up are you this is not on our anyone here's radar am i right i don't have red in six (laughs) but But you have a man of traders rental account i do i'm I'm curious about this one i I can afford it on magic online so might as well give it a spin what's worse that could happen yeah i kind of i kind of fun (laughs) the worst thing could happen is fun that 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 is not an (laughs) option david yeah, maybe maybe one of us should play this for next week, and another one should play Murktrad Region with just Ledger Shredders. No Murktrads even. And then Dave can, you know, go Take camping again. Off. Yeah. All right, fourth place, Ganyanchen on Yogmoth combo. Still good. Fifth place, Whedon on Mono Green Tron. The main deck looks pretty typical. The sideboard, Shane. Also relatively typical. Yeah, I think the I mean the main deck's a little bit interesting. It's running a couple Thrag Tusk and two Walking Ballista. No uh Wormcoil Engine, which I think is a little bit weird. I think maybe just the prevalence of exile based removal. You just want a little bit more value with your Thrag Tusk there. Getting life's good. Not as much burn. 
right? Probably means there's not much burn in this metagame at all, so it makes it a little bit. But then why play Thrag Tusk, which is harder to cast? Just for the just for the extra creature after if they like if they exile it somehow. I don't know. Uh, I also like. I mean, I think this just this deck is built well for the metagame. It's got a gut shot in the side. It's got three warping whales. It's got good ways to take care of early creatures and then you know, detron things, stabilize, and take over the end game. Do Tron things. Fourth place, four color blink, played by Respect the Cat. This is not the Elementals deck. It does have two Eldamry's Call, though. Fetch up an Omnath or an Endurance or another good card if you need to. Seventh place, Death and Taxes. What? Now, this, yeah, this is Yorian Taxes. I mean, it's it's a lot of what you'd expect from a Taxes deck. The biggest thing I that kind of clicked for me here from looking at this list that is obvious but I hadn't really considered before is that they're they're shaving path to play March of Otherworldly Light. And in a deck like this, a monocolor deck like this, March of Otherworldly Light makes a lot of sense because you can't play Prismatic Kenting. Right. So even though they do have a couple of paths because of how well it uh, synergizes with Lean and Arbiter, March being just like this catch-all answer that you, know, you can pitch some of your extra cards to as well. Like if you have like a Dead Solitude or... Uh, or rather a dead skyclave apparition or maybe you know an extra thalia seems like this is the type of thing that you know some of these white taxes decks perhaps needed is a little extra power in the form of a march of otherworldly light to not be so reliant on just path to exile removal and then finally eighth place murktide regent another two ledger shredder version importantly piloted by grixis man <laughs> going staying in there in two of their three colors at least yeah, the only thing I'll say about the overall top 32 is that even though we mentioned one Yawgmoth deck, it was the most played deck, or the most prevalent deck in the top 32, 12.5% of the field. Wow. However, very diverse uh, top 32 here, like Murktide Regent, Blue Living End, Mono Green Tron, Elementals, Ponza, like a lot of, lot of twos, a lot of ones and twos in this tournament. So even though the top eight, I think, had a lot of familiar strategies the tournament was pretty diverse. Um, so that's always exciting to see. Even had a Ponza in there. Yeah, so many. The, there's more than 50% of this metagame are made up by ones. Mm-hmm. All right, let's breeze to this last one. Why don't we? We have nothing to talk about in the dive down. So this one's... This one's <laughs> there's, good, there's good players in this one, too. Yeah, so this is, I mean, this is straightforward. We've got first place, Conus on Elementals. The new premier deck of modern, I'd say. It seems like it's being cementing itself as the, the deck that... Good players want to play and have a 1,100 ticket mana traders rental account because, my goodness, is that expensive. But yeah, Elementals, doing Elemental things. Uh, interestingly, there's like kind of, you know, there's a lot of one and two of here. There's a couple of like Ice Fangs and Endurances and Obsidian Charmall, interestingly, and a yeah. Titania. But yeah, this deck is, you know, go over the top, just tons of value. Uh, I was watching Spike play today against this a deck like this and i was reminded about how good <laughs> tutors can be like ella damry's call just peeling necessary tools out of the deck just works so well especially as the game goes long and you just get exactly what you need whether it's an omnath or a solitude or a fury or something like that it just does a lot of work having eight copies of effectively eight copies of a needed card second place we have batutina on elementals as well slightly different list here this is Stan, like, so I'm looking at this. What are you noticing? It looks like it's just kind of more play sets of elementals. We've got four Fury, four Solitude, four Omnath, four Risen Reef, 
a few yeah. you know odds and ends like an endurance and a magus of the moon and things like that but this is just kind of looking for elemental value yeah just like less ones and twos um you know you don't have like the weird ice fangs or titanias or charmaz here just mostly four ofs of the good cards and then eldamri's calling some removal to round it out right on third place plato nguyen on golgara yogmoth splashing red for a main deck magus of the moon then fourth place we have mr kofiet on azorius control which looks like a control deck to me i don't know if you noticed anything that made it look not look like a control deck of course it's a control deck it's mr kofiet yeah, this is this is a pretty what I would expect stock list. And then mm-hmm. interestingly, right behind Mr. Caffiet is I think the exact same deck, even though it's called Jeskai Control. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, right below it on MTG Goldfish, it's Watu. It is uh, Wafo Tafa Wafo Tapo himself on uh, Azorius Control. So yep. that's that's kind of I've never seen these two players back-to-back like this. I think I think they're testing partners and friends and things like that. Wasn't there like a rumor that it's the same, that Mr. Cafoulette was Watu's alt account? Well, now we know this, this can't be the case. I mean, I guess it potentially could be if he's <laughs> on two separate computers, but... Six so here's the wildest thing, is that Watu is running one more memory deluge and one less fire and ice in the main deck, which is fine. <laughs> but in a sideboard... One thing that makes this deck more Jeskai is there is a single copy of an uncommon from Battle for Zendikar called Crumble to Dust. Oh, that's like a land destruction spell, right? Yeah, it's, it's, a color, four, it's colorless. A it's four. It's devoid. devoid. It's devoid. It's sowing salt. We call it a sowing salt effect. It's uh, <laughs> which was in uh, Urza's Destiny, I think. Uh, the the okay. one with the vial, and uh, yeah, this is a the devoid version of that card. All right, sixth place we have uh, eight cast. Affinity style deck, doing affinity style things, flooding the board, drawing some cards. Seventh place, we have Blam Cat on Indomitable Creativity, doing Indomitable Creativity things, casting some crab tokens, making some other tokens and creativitying them into into what? Emrakul, Sarah's Emissary, stuff like that? Yeah, it's worth both. Generally, you want both. Oh, okay, I'll take uh, both. It's uh, worth noting that this is the four-color version and not some other kind of faster version, and there's no Archon in this one, which would become the payoff of choice for a while, and now this mm-hmm. deck is more more Sarah Emrakul. Mm. Nahiri as well. We got a Nahiri oh, the Harbinger yeah. in case you want to old-school it and get your Emrakul too. Man, that's such a good way to do it. And then uh, eighth place, we have Burn. It is like the Burn deck. Interestingly, it has two Core Firewalker and one Sanctifier on Vex side. Kind of splitting the difference there, but yeah, looks like looks like what burn looks like these days. I I don't know why you play Sanctifier right now, like unless it's just for the graveyard hate, because it, it it used to be such a powerhouse against red black decks, and those are effectively non-existent right now. Yeah, Maybe that's point. why we're only playing one. Is it good against Living End? Is it medium against Living End? You get rid of some of the creatures, but not all of them. Yeah, I mean, like some of your best creatures in Living End are blue, right? So it gets rid of grief and architect of will are the big ones. And I guess uh, Street Wraith. Street Wraith, sure, sure. I don't think one Sanctifier in Vec is solving Burns' problems with Living End, however. No, no I don't think so either. <laughs> uh, Have you guys seen that new, probably that new meme that's going around with like the tank? It's like from an old infomercial where it's a big tank of water with water spewing out of the side oh, of yeah. it. And then it was kind of like you put tape over it to like close the the hole in the in the tank and it's like my bad matchup 
one brazen borrow one main deck brazen borrower <laughs> yes. kind of like patching over it i keep seeing it for all these different cards and i guess one sideboard sanctifier in fact is a version of that meme as well that's all you need man just one all right if four tournaments one breakdown that's kind of a lot so hope you stuck with us you guys ready to head into the dive down talk about some actual playing experiences versus other people's yeah first can we do a quick commercial break and talk about some of our <laughs> shaving stories oh yeah of course I've got a good one, so stay with us. Um, this is kind of an awkward question, but does someone here smell amazing? <laughs> Are you the woman at the grocery store this weekend? I was, I was with my wife, by the way, so I wasn't just getting hit on. Not, not just getting hit on. But yeah, I had my first, like, at what are you wearing in the wild thing happen for like, I can't even remember the last time that happened with anything, but I was, I got a, a fresh drop from Barrister and Man. Will sent over some sandalwood uh, shaving soap, some sandalwood shaving balm. I got the lava nil, uh, the soap as well. And yeah, so I, 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 of course, I immediately was like, oh yeah, I can't wait to use this. Busted out the, the sandalwood, did the little, you know, did the shaving, did the application of the stuff. And I was like, you know, that smelled pretty good, but I, I didn't smell it on myself. And then we go out to the grocery store and this woman's like, we saw her like once or twice. And she's like, look, I got to ask y'all, I know this is probably weird, but is one of you wearing something that smells really good? My wife's like, yeah, that's 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 the shaving soap. We just got it today, and I was like, yeah, I can't, man, this this is Will's gonna love this. This is a good commercial. And you were like, excuse me, use the code dive down, the dive down twenty twenty two all one word to be able to get a discount on your first purchase, lady at the grocery store. Fifteen percent off your first order, lady at the grocery store. If you like sandalwood, then go for that. But so yeah, that that's that that is my honest review of the week people yeah. even strangers like it but stan you said you had a story well my st story is i also got a new drop featuring several products from the behold the what's line of fragrances i got a couple of oh, those so jealous i want to know what that smells like i'll tell you exactly what it smells like it smells like candied fruit it's like it, it's like the perfect summer fragrance because it's like kind of sweet very light and I like it a lot. I got the shaving soap and the aftershave balm. So I feel good. It's deep in my pores. I finished work early. I shaved and then I went skating and I could just like feel the what's aroma in the breeze behind me. <laughs> just a scent trail. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice. Not too strong. Very fruity in a good way. I just imagined a Dr. Seuss-esque drawing of you skating with like smell lines coming off of you, which would fit so well with the uh, art for Behold the Wetsis. Yeah. And, and the nice thing about this particular scent is that uh, Bear Sherman, for every dollar per jar of soap and $2 per bottle of aftershave balm, will be donated to the Children's Literacy Initiative, which is a nonprofit that works with teachers to advance and improve early literacy in the united states oh it's dope limited edition nice smell and part of the proceeds go to a really great cause i think the label says that it smells of it's like sunshine grapefruit rose and childhood memories childhood memories yeah i was like oh that's nice so yeah as dave mentioned 50 percent off your first order by using 
coupon code the dive down 2022 at barrister and man m-a-double-n they've got soaps they've got shaving soaps they've got you know aftershave balms lotions all that kind of good stuff for you uh your loved ones your home so uh help us out help will out and we appreciate it so stanislav Stanislav, you mentioned that you have been you playing. <laughs> you imagine that you've been playing, perhaps Pioneer Enemy Number One. Mm-hmm. Did it for science and perhaps for some uh, some tickets and treasure chests on Magic Online. You played Pioneer Naya Winota. Is that correct? Were you lying to me, I, Shane? I lie to a lot of people. Never you. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. So yeah, what 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 was inspiring you for this? So here's what happened. Winota got banned in Explorer, and I noticed two things. One, the community generally rejoiced over the news. Yeah. The second thing is that a lot of people went as far as to say that it should have just been removed from Pioneer as well. And I think, as you put it, like a lot of people kind of resent the deck's presence and power in the format, just because it's so format-defining. It's kind of like perhaps the first deck you have to have a plan for, or at least that's the sentiment I picked up. So in the spirit of fun, and uh, as it turns out, profit, I decided to run a version of Naya Winota through a Pioneer League to see what happened. And uh, just for context, the one I played is really similar to the sixth place list from the Sunday Challenge, which is just like all four ofs except for one Kenrith. And um, I got to tell you guys, I snapped off a pretty quick 4-1. And just even though people know it, people expect it. You're just like whatever, whatever. People throw uh, it It's true, and I came rather close to getting that trophy. I lost match five to Nif to Light, where I was absolutely bodied, just <laughs> not even close. Pile of removal and sweepers, and like a big six six fire. It was just a little too much for me. So I believe we didn't we all play this deck a long time ago when we were testing pioneer gosh did we even do a deck dive on it or, or maybe not? we did i mean it was, it was a it was a um different build at that point in time yes, i think the one yeah, that i played had agent of treachery in it and stuff like right and we played like ingress marauders which was it, i mean it's different different not just in build but like the outcome of your nota triggers were different because the marauders builds would sometimes generate these turns where you're dealing a hundred damage and i think i even like had like a screenshot where it was like in pioneer and i got my opponent to like negative a hundred because of some some crazy marauders nonsense this version does not do that um and it doesn't need to yeah so interestingly here i feel like the human targets are pretty good right like you but they're not as like game breaking as I feel like they were when it was like, here's a bunch of Kenris, here's a bunch of you know the Marauders and things like that, where it's like we're not we're not cheating really high mana things, but I mean, we do of course have four Tovalar's Huntmaster. We talked about that that card previous weeks. You know, a six six that also makes two 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 green wolf tokens along for the ride, pretty darn good uh, in terms of being flashed onto the battlefield. But tell me a little bit more about the the threats that you liked seeing stan or do you want to like get into other details before we kind of dive into the deck construction 
Well, um, you know, I, I, I structured my <sighs> experiences into a segment. Ooh, that, um, I love your segments. Yeah, it's, it's another classic Stan segment, and, and this one is titled Five Hot Takes About Nia Winota Based on a Single League I Did With It Saturday Night. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you know I love snappy branding, and I really got to say, you pulled it off. Look, if we I, can't make blanket statements based off of s- small sample size, then are we truly magic players? I'm not. We're definitely not podcasters if we don't. That's right. Yeah, my, my wife went to a birthday party. My child was asleep. I fired off a league. And here's what I learned. The first thing that stood out to me, and, and these are in no particular order, and these are just like notes that I jotted down. I think there's been a lot of spilled ink about this deck. People talk about it a lot. So I kind of just wanted to provide some more in-depth experiences I had because I'm going to operate under the assumption that people generally know what this deck does. This is not a deck dive per se. But the first thing that I that I learned uh, during a mirror match, in fact, that I won, is uh, the new Kiki Jiki. Fable of the Mirror Breaker, but specifically the reflection of Kiki Jiki side, is a protection spell. This card just keeps getting better and better. Most people know that Winota has to be killed on sight. And unless you're running the Selfless Spirit version, for instance, most decks are playing, you know, some type of specific removal spells that are really efficient against Winota. Like these are some of those one mana red spells that just deal for at instant speed. But if you're playing this deck right, you basically only need to swing with Winota one time just to establish either a winning line or to establish a board that's probably just going to win on the on the crackback. And one way to protect Winota, I found, is to copy her with the reflection in response to an opponent's removal spell. Makes a ton of sense. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, it does make a ton of sense, but I think that's just one more application for Fable that I did not realize until... I had, I had the reflection up and someone pointed a removal spell at Winota. And then you just choose the copy to stick around because uh, of legend rule, one of them would die. It also has haste, so you get to attack with it. And then either they have to spend a, a whole other removal spell on the copy, effectively two for one themselves, or it just clears the way for you to swing with you know your mana dorks or whatever else in hopes of finding a Winota off the Winota trigger along with whatever other win cons you find. So Fable, good card. Beware of this. This is like another must-kill card in this deck. Yeah. Um, in a deck full of must-kill cards. I mean, I think one of the other things that I've I've noticed in this deck and others is just the the treasure token allows you just to ramp out spells like a turn earlier sometimes or when people aren't expecting it or to double spell. And yeah, just that, that Goblin Shaman making a treasure token can be super valuable in case you miss a land drop or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it especially pairs really well with Asika's Chariot. Oh, just man. because you don't even have to attack with that Shaman. Like, if, if, if you don't want it to die on blocks, you can attack with your Chariot and then just copy it. And then in a future turn, if you need to generate a ton of mana, or maybe you've built up a bunch of tokens with your Chariot, um, or you just need to generate a ton of Winota triggers, like, you just sort of get to have your cake and eat it, too. By the way, guess how much? Guess how much the real... Goblin Shaman token costs to purchase six dollars, four dollars and fifty cents. Cool, it's a lot of money. I'm gonna be well, using to look the, around and find one of those. I'm gonna use the token is box. also rare. Is the thing what? So the tokens match the rarity of the card that they generate. No, yeah, supposedly, supposedly they do. 
yeah well i i believe in conspiracy theories um <laughs> so for that reason like the drop rate of this token is is allegedly as rare as like or relative to other tokens wild if, if you feel me yes they put the tokens that only go with rares at a lesser um drop rate because that would be annoying for people cracking a box that do limited all right here's my my second hot take Eskis Chariot plus Winota is Splinter Twin. <laughs> okay. How's the Splinter Twin? So Chariot making a couple tokens provides up to three Winota enablers in and of itself. And since Winota has four power, you can use her to equip the Chariot, which then gives you those three creatures, which is, you know, Chariot plus two casts to attack and trigger her. Yeah. And three, th- three triggers, I, I want to point out, is actually frequently good enough to close out the game. And I'm going to talk about about those three triggers in a in a upcoming point. But with those three triggers, you're practically setting up a Splinter Twin situation when you have both cards on board because once you attack, you get those three triggers, you're like finding up to I think 18 power is is your is your ceiling in addition to the power that's swing on the board on the spot. The only difference in this case though is that Chariot and Orwinota are still good without the other because of how well this deck is constructed. So in this case, they're better than Splinter Twin. I mean, you got to tap down a land with Pester Might, right, Dave? Sure, that was great. <laughs> as good as, <laughs> yeah. Totally as good as a Seeker's Chariot. And then you could hit somebody for two over and over again. Yeah, just the thing I kept finding in this league and, and really playing against this deck is like, in a deck full of must-kills, you don't necessarily have to find Winota if you can just like play a Chariot and just keep playing creatures to equip it as long as it dodges removal it just takes over the game so quickly yeah that's like the real issue and i think i kind of mentioned that in the breakdown segment where it's like grease fang without grease fang is pretty mopey pretty slow and winota without winota is still just a creature beatdown deck i just want to say grease fang without grease fang is one of my favorite web comics (laughs) so like a late 90s early 2000s one like Like garfield without garfield yeah. Very cynical Gen X ennui yeah. comic. Yeah. I would even say that Chariot was so good that, like, on some level, I feel like if and when Winota gets banned, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, like, some kind of green, white, green, red, or Naya deck that just is Chariot plus a lot of other good creatures in those colors doing just fine. Like, just Chariot plus Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Like a Gruel like, aggro style. Yeah. Naya it, style. Like, I think that can be a deck in. In some condition. Just gruel tokens, basically, really. Yeah, the the, the part part, though, because this used to be a token stack, right? Like, when we did our deck dive, episode 74, it was running, like, Goblin Rabble Masters and oh, Legion yeah. War Bosses, right. the enablers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To maximize on the non, non-human. Right. But Chariot needs four power to equip. So, if you're going to have, like, a Chariot non-Winota deck, you kind of have to build around the Chariot. But that's probably an easy problem to solve. And not one we're going to do right now. Here's my next take, and another reason why I think this deck is fantastic. It molds good. Like, oh. really, really good. How so? I won a game after a molt of four, just because I kept digging for a solid start of lands plus mana dorks. And it, I, I don't want to say that I was mulliganing aggressively for that specific hand, but I just, my first three just were not exciting, and I didn't feel like it was the right cards to start strong. And then I found four that just were living off the top of my deck but gave me some good early plays yeah i played some dorks 
I found Winota and then I won. And I think that sort of speaks to how powerful she is in particular, but also just what this deck is capable of. It's not necessarily a card advantage deck. It's a card quality deck. And you shouldn't necessarily be afraid of pitching hands if like your first play is brutal Cathar. Or, you know, if, if, if you're not doing anything for the first two or three turns, like you can probably send it back because the most explosive turns and, and, and I would say the most um, decisive games were the ones where I actually had like a really strong start with a turn one L for at least a turn two end keeper that then kind of helped smooth out the rest of my turns moving forward, assuming it stuck around. But um, yeah, this is just that kind of deck where I think like, you know, like you were saying, Stan, which is like the card quality is high and it's not the one of the kind of decks that's like trying to cheat on lands to run more creatures or something like that. Like it runs 23 lands. You're going to curve out a good amount of time. You could eventually get to the point where like, yeah, they've killed all your other stuff and then you resolve your Tovalar's Huntmaster and that's going to be enough to do a lot of work for you just at six mana. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like that's ridiculous to consider casting in a normal game of magic. Right, totally. And and Huntmaster is one of those cards where you kind of hate to see it in your opener, so it's a great card to just put on the bottom if you're mulliganing. But then also, you know, just to reiterate, like if your hand is like Huntmasters and Cathars, and and a and like maybe even a Fable and and not much to do on turns one or two, I think you can just send that back um, and and get away with a stronger hand with fewer cards. Speaking of strong hands. I think one of my biggest level up moments with this deck is kind of understanding what to do with those early turns and what positions I'm trying to get to. So my next hot take is having a lot of Winota triggers is important because you have more enablers than you actually have payoffs. And my single favorite line with this deck was just three lands, two elves, an innkeeper, and a Winota. Because it lets you cast Winota on three and trigger her three times. And even though that might not be enough to close out the game on the spot, if you get at least one Huntmaster, definitely if you get two Huntmasters, and assuming Winona doesn't die on the spot, basically nothing can beat that unless it's just like another combo deck that goes over the top or a control deck that has a sweeper ready. Yeah, like even like the turn one elf that you're like, well, that's a must kill. I'm going to fatal push mm-hmm. that. And then they turn to innkeeper and you're like, well, I really wish I had another piece of removal. But uh, yeah. maybe I maybe have to hold this up or something, or maybe like I hope I draw into it. And then there's like turn three Winota and trigger, and just because digging six, digging ten percent through your deck or and more at that point, you have a good chance of getting a decent hit there, and that's honestly can be enough just to take over the game if they make something that removes one of your creatures, like with Brutal Cathar, or just leaves like a lot of power on the battlefield. Even if you remove that Winota for the next turn, then it's like, well, how are you gonna deal with this Huntmaster and its two tokens? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will say, like, if they're removing everything you're putting down, but you land a Winota and, like, you just have the innkeeper, that still feels bad. One Winota trigger is not as strong as multiple Winota triggers because the way the deck is built now, you do whiff sometimes. And one of the reasons why I liked having at least three triggers is because, like, sometimes you look at six, that's like, elves and lands and and fables and it's like i i can't do anything with this you look at hands with essica's chariot and you're just like i wish this was in my hand or on the board already i can't i can't put anything uh, i can't cheat anything into play so in a weird way maybe even like the old versions of the deck before chariot that was just like rap go- goblin tokens it was 
one of the reasons why we were like having those explosive turns where you're dealing 100 damage is because you had so many more tokens and, and one drops to create Winota triggers. Whereas now it's like you have fewer triggers, but your hits are that much stronger because you have like the Huntmasters and the and the Brutal Cathars. But in any case, try to get yourself in a position where if you're going to go for the, your Winota turn, you're going as big as possible because just doing it once, like that's not as decisive as a win con as, as you might hope it would be. Yeah, it makes total sense. All right, here's my last discussion topic slash hot take. And I'm going to quote someone, and I, I will attribute this quote, but I feel like this is a really good example of a deck that's doing stuff, but isn't necessarily playing games. And I really frequently felt like my decisions did not matter after I mulliganed. And I don't know if you guys heard this, but Ari Lax basically said something to that effect about Pioneer at large on a recent episode of Dominary's Judgment, where it's just like, you're performing a lot of game actions, but it doesn't really feel like you're playing games. In this case, he was speaking pretty specifically toward the class of interaction that we have in the format. I don't know if I agree with Ari's take there. I listened to the same episode and I was like, oh, no, Ari. But I, I do. I see how it applies to this deck in particular. Here's what I'll say in defense of Ari, who, you know, I never want to defend. Because he's smarter <laughs> than I am and I'm supremely jealous of his success as a Magic player. We're like spoiled as modern players. If you think about like the cards we have access to, going from like Fury to Brutal Cathar, <laughs> yeah. just, it, it doesn't hit the same, you know? And I think there's something to be said about like going from modern to pioneer for me and, and I suspect a lot of other players like doesn't feel as satisfying or as fun as maybe going from pioneer or from standard to pioneer where it kind of does like feel like a power upgrade and maybe you can like have a deck that's operating on a stronger level that's also a little bit you know, more resilient to format churn. With modern, at least, like, your removal is so efficient, but also some of your best removal spells come from these supplementary sets. And I think that's also kind of indicative of, like, how magic and standard sets have been curated by wizards, where your best removal spells are super conditional. And the decisions you have to make is, like, what can I put in a deck full of Reckless Rages so that I'm not too for wanting myself? As opposed to... What am I pitching to Fury because I have to two-for-one myself? And how do I mitigate that loss? Mm -hmm. And this is super subjective, but I just find that like the removal suite that we have in Modern, even if it's like not two-for-one spells, like even if we're talking about Lightning Bolt and Unholy Heat and, and Prismatic Ending, I find that they just kind of generate decisions that because they're stronger interaction spells, they lead to more interesting points of interaction and and, and sequencing than just... Like, I'm always going to play my Brutal Cathar, and I just have to make sure I'm tagging the card that is going to, like, kill someone on blocks or just get in the way of lethal damage. That's a can of worms. Dave? We have 40 minutes yeah. to discuss it, though. Oh, man, thank goodness. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I hear this argument and discussion a lot about, like, why is modern fun? Why do some people consider modern the best format? And then I, you hear it a lot, especially in comparison to Pioneer, where it's like, I think it's, it's, I don't know if it's like a power level appetite or if it's like a, an ability to handle anything that gets thrown at you with something like a march or something like a prismatic ending or just the, the back and forth of like haymakers in modern. So it's like, I don't know. What do you feel about that, Dave? They're just almost different games. They're different almost the same way that, yeah, I think it's, it's about power power level and efficiency of cards which leads to it being a different style of gameplay and different decks are good 
in the format ultimately, you know? And so I think, um, I don't know, I, you know, I haven't played enough pioneer to be able to really say I've played more explorer lately just because of like availability and of time and things like that. But, um, I think it's nice to be able to switch between the two of them. I don't know if I would objectively try to say one is better than the other. Yeah. You know, like I think that pioneer, when I've played a bunch of modern, I definitely don't think I have to think as hard at pioneer as I do at, at modern, even though sometimes you can feel totally powerless playing modern. A lot of times it's that whole, I think we've talked about this a few times too. Like, you know, modern is a lot about implicit information and pioneer, I think is a lot about explicit information. And so in, in modern, you really have to sit there and go like, okay, I only have like three game actions in this game, or maybe, you know, it's a limited number of things and I need to plan it out so that I don't die to living end or so I don't die to yog moth or so, or whatever, while trying to make, you know, make progress on my own plan in pioneer. I think it's a little different, although Winota does put a similar pressure on you where you have to like leave up must kill must kill stuff and so that's why i feel like winota is kind of annoying to play against anyway but yeah. for the most part when i'm playing pioneer i'm like okay you know i get to try to do my plan i have a little bit of disruption they're not going to mess it up too much and then kind of go from there and it's about what happens in the game where modern's about what happens outside of the game kind of or you know all of the things that could happen a little bit yeah, I, I that's why I, I agree with you there, and I think that's where I don't really I, I don't get the take where it's like you're not really playing games, and I know that's not what you said, Stan. Um, it's it's just a take I, where it's like, well, the games of modern are like more like games of magic, and I think it's primarily because of the interact the interactive options are a little bit better. And in playing Pioneer, I feel like my games go longer. There are fewer like auto losses there's not many is besides something like winota or potentially grease fang uh, or like lotus field which is definitely on a downswing lately it's like you're not losing to combo decks or creature combo decks that frequently and so it's like i think you just have more time to make more decisions and to develop a game plan and i think when cards are slightly lower powered then they bounce off each other in different ways whereas like the the super strong strategies of modern, I think, can lead to fewer actual games. But I mean, the interactivity of Modern Horizons 2, I think, definitely has been a big improvement, even if you don't like the free spells and elementals and things like that. Again, I, I don't think one is better than the other, personally. Agreed. Yes. As long as, sure. as long as we don't have like the gross pi- a combo meta that Pioneer had for a while and that kind of thing, I think we're good. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, all I'll say just to, to close this point that I started up is like, Although I don't want to use Winota as a litmus test for the entire format, or, or I don't want to judge the entire format by this one deck, is what I really want to say. It did feel as though the margins were not thin. And maybe that's a Winota thing, right? Maybe that's like the the appeal of this deck or the problem with this deck is like either you're running away with the games or someone has like a pile of removal spells that just can answer everything you do. Right, But I think that's kind of the key differences I experience in a general or an average modern game versus like what I see more often than not with the Pioneer metagame. It's just like in modern, like sometimes like one crazy top deck or one expressive iteration just like changes the entire texture of a game. And in Pioneer, it's kind of like who gets there faster just because you have less tools to interact with that aren't conditional at least. Sure. I mean, I think that's fair, really, when it comes down to it. But, but yeah, uh, Winota, it's a sleeve. 
<laughs> Weird. FYI, everybody. <laughs> the best deck in the I, format is a sleeve. I, I do think, like, if it gets banned, I don't think it's going to necessarily make the format less linear, to be honest. Like, Lotus Field is still kind of doing the same thing. Like, Monogreen Devotion, I think, and, and even, like, Boros Aggro and Prowess. Like, I think they do similar things where it's just, like, super hyper-linear aggressive strategies that are just sort of going to win on the spot unless you happen to have a mid-ranger control deck that is catered to what you are up to that can disrupt you along the way. But time will tell. Maybe new maybe new sets will will improve that. So y'all, I uh, I have a surprise for you. Well, since it was in the intro, I don't think it's a surprise, but what is it? <laughs> Dave, I have a surprise uh, I have a surprising topic to talk about with you this week, okay? Have you continued your conversion into being a blue magic player? I mean, maybe certain kind of blue spells, uh like cantrips and counter magic. And flying birds. Those are all the good blue spells. I don't know what else oh, you're no. looking for. Not the bounce. What about the bounce spells? Oh, you like those too. If you like those other things. What, what about uh, what about enchantment based removal? Ooh, you like that too, probably. <laughs> anyway, what's um, going on right now? I mean, the only thing that you're leaving off that list is like uh, show and tell or so, or <laughs> omni- omniscience or whatever. Like you know, the big weird blue cards. I like the jins as well. Uh, so I this week decided to continue my exploration of is it decks in explorer featuring ledger shredder ledger ledger shredder let's say it, i can say it right i promise you so everyone knows about is it phoenix it's been something that we've talked about since episode one and probably two and probably three uh and i've in, in in fact, I think we should commit right now. Phoenix will be the topic we talk about on the last episode of the Dive Down, whenever that day comes. Sure, For sure. Yeah, why not? Love I'll it. Promise that now. So this episode, uh, I've never really been an adopter of these decks. It's not my style. It's like a little too slow. It's a little too spinning of your wheels. But for science, I was testing this latest iteration of the deck in Explorer, and I will admit that I liked it mostly. And so you're asking Shane why strong you, statement. Yeah, why are you talking about Is It Phoenix and Explorer Shane if this is a deck that we know about uh, and we've seen in Pioneer and things like that? I've seen on Arena a bunch of times. Well, I don't think this newest variation is like drastically different than what you're used to seeing out there. But with incorporating Ledger Shredder as this additional threat, and I think adding Strangle to the deck as cheap, effective removal against creatures and planeswalkers, that does change the way this deck plays out and the power level of this deck and the different ways you have to manipulate your graveyard, manipulate, manipulate your hand, and be successful with it. And the real question, I think, is does that make a big difference in the way that it performs? And I think that the answer for me is yes, certainly. And the origin of the deck that I played is from uh, an MTG Arena Zone article by Darth Jason, which went into really good detail on the deck. It has sideboard plans, uh, detail on strategies, things like that. So check that link out in the show notes. And so the suite of threats that this deck runs is clean, which is just for Phoenix, for Shredder, and importantly, I'll get into that later, for Crackling Drake. And what each of these threats is doing is something really important which is, you know, of course, Phoenix is the namesake of the deck. You get the 3-2 the flyer out of the graveyard at the, cast of, at the cost of doing what your deck wants to do, which is just cast spells from hand. And then even backup, just being a 3-2 hasty flyer is often fine, if not good. And 
Ledger Shredder, of course, is the card that is sweeping magic formats of all kinds. The efficiency of the spells in this deck just make it so easy to double, triple spell. And Shredder is helping with that card selection, which a deck like this desperately needs, because you have a lot of air. And so getting to needed threats, getting to needed removal, all that kind of stuff is super important. It can also discard your Phoenix, which is really key. Another way to get Phoenix in the yard. And it grows by itself. All the things that we talked about last week in the Shredder deep dive. And I think in Explorer, the main weakness is that it eats fatal pushes. But it's the only thing in your deck that eats fatal pushes. And I think most of the time you want to play this on turn three, unless you think that you're going to need like as fast a clock as possible and every counter on shredder is going to matter but you know you can cast a shredder you can cast a single opter you know uh consider and then you get the connive trigger and that's value right there even if it eats a fatal push and then i think crackling drake is probably my favorite threat in the deck to be honest with you because it's just such a finisher like this deck is slow like this deck is not fast at closing games like you're not turboing out multiple phoenixes off of like your faithless looting like we did 173 episodes ago do you know what i mean and so crackling drake is it's this finisher that dodges the non unless it's a revolted fatal push it can't eat that it frequently requires like multiple red removal spells to get it off the battlefield it draws a card on etb and really importantly it closes the games quickly so like by the time you're resolving a crackling drake or getting another or getting like your second crackling drake it's like a 13 4 and doing work. I just can't I can't believe this. <laughs> this is this is really where we've crossed over into um Shane is fully converted now and Stan we're going to have to find a different set of decks to play because now Shane <laughs> now Shane likes to play these too and so now we need to find our own thing again but like Crackling Drake is the final the final key of <laughs> cards I know Shane said was ter- were terrible like eight, 2 years ago and now I mean things are good. Uh, I mean, it's good in this deck. I mean, it's it's all about it's context, right? It's all about context. I mean, look, Crackling Drake, like you said, is is a good card because it draws a card when it comes into play, yes, that's and very it helps key. you be resilient to graveyard hate, and that's that's great. That's always been a, a good thing about it for sure. And so, I'd love to see you seeing the light. Yeah, I mean, what's it's it's really funny. Speaking of the graveyard hate, is like I had multiple opponents bring in turn two rest in peace against me or like, you know, they drop a turn two rest in peace. And I am literally like, I do not care. I could, yeah, especially because you sideboarded less. your, especially because you sideboarded your Phoenix is out. I mean, sometimes that, I think that's you could the do real that. play. Like, I mean, I think if you see it, like I'm not going to do that game two, unless like it's, um, it's clearly going to do some kind of rest in peace shenanigans. But like, if I see it game two and I don't win for some, for some crazy reason, I don't win that game two, then sure. Then you can like kind of get the Phoenix keys out. I think, but like, Casting a feet hard casting a Phoenix is just fine. Just like an additional threat. Like it's not like great, but like I've finished many games with just like, oh, well, there's my three two haster in the air and just close the game out. I'm dying right now. I love this. This is why this is honestly why I talked about this deck, is just to basically get your guys' takes on my take. So But it's this is exactly things that we said no, I mean, two years I, ago I, I and you were like it's terrible. You. No, I mean it's Listen. not great. I mean this is no, this you, is this is this is explorer, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. You know, Shane is a lifelong learner. We all I, yeah. have growing and learning to do. Shane more than anyone. I am curious though. Did you ever miss Thing in the Ice? I barely remember playing Thing in the Ice. I mean, I, I'm sure I did. Like, but 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 I mean, the effect. Like, oh, like, like the having upheaval. A, a, 
Yeah, like having a two drop that doesn't necessarily die to red removal that easily, um, that also can just like reset the board. I think, here's the thing, I never really felt like opposing creature decks were dramatic threats to me. Unless they were like a really a, like hyper aggressive deck that was going really wide or something like that. And they just got the board full of creatures faster than I could take care of them or faster than I can like present blockers that matter, like a crackling drake or something like that. Then, yeah, I think like that would be a case where I'd be like, yeah, I wish I had even the option for Thing in the Ice. Like I can, I would love like Thing as like a sideboard option perhaps, right? Where it's like, if I'm going up against like humans or, you know, some kind of just like elves for some reason or something like that, then yeah, having the ability to do an upheaval would be pretty cool. But I think you can get you can get sweeper effects in the sideboard in red. You don't necessarily need the upheaval effect. You can just kind of, you can sweep things out of there. You have enough removal to take care of meaningful threats, I think. But yeah, I think that we talked about this kind of last week, which is just like people are using Ledger Shredder instead of Thing in the Ice now, right? Even though it's a drastically different piece of cardboard on the battlefield yeah and that's i think it's opening the door a little bit because if i remember right many of the phoenix decks before ledger shredder came out also were not running drake anymore and Mm -hmm. so they're mostly just phoenix and thing in the ice and so to go to a slightly more threat dense deck right that helps you kind of build this all flyers some resilient to graveyard some exploiting the graveyard some helping you cycle through your deck, I think it's an interesting kind of triumvirate to go with, especially if there isn't some reason to really want Thing in the Ice, which apparently might be where we are at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I can even see a world where it's like you do run some Sprite Dragons just for additional threats, like additional targets for fatal pushes, and if they don't deal with them, then it can kind of run away with the game. That would involve finding room for those. So it's just kind of, you know, what cantrips do you shave? What... Uh, kind of, you know, do you shave a land here or there? Like, I don't know. That's the kind of risks that I'm not willing to take with this kind of deck yet. But, you know, that's kind of belies the point of the deck, I think, in a lot of ways, which is like, this is not aggressive, right? And I think I want to get into a little bit more of that and kind of like how I actually found myself playing this deck and (laughs) whether or not that made me actually like it or not. But what I think is, the first thing I want to talk about is Strangle in this deck, right? And I think that Strangle is a big deal in Explorer and probably Pioneer because it expands removal suite not only into three damage removal, but also into Planeswalker targeting and Planeswalker damage for one mana. It's also a sorcery speed spell, okay? And so three damage for three damage for one is really good, particularly for this deck because it gets rid of problematic threats like graveyard trespasser, which can start eating your graveyard, or bone crusher giant, which can just put a clock on you, and can also trade with your if you're forced to block, can trade with like your late game crackling drake when you really want to be attacking with that card. And so taking care of it, even if it deals you two damage, you're fine with that because it's stopping repeated four damage against you. And what's also important, I think, too, is that if you're playing against a creature light deck, game one, when you might shave them game two, is like, if you want to recur a phoenix, and you have creature-based removal only, then you're kind of stuck. You're right, well, what am I going to target my own thing? Like, and 
But if you're playing against like a, a planeswalker deck, like a control deck, let's stick something, then you can target your opponent's planeswalkers with this, and it gives you a spell trigger to start counting towards your three storm count to get your phoenixes back, which is really advantageous as well. And then, because it's a sorcery, it's a really good card to have available with your two of Finale of Promise in this deck, because that casts one instant and one sorcery from your graveyard and sorcery, excuse me, strangle sorcery speed. So you cast your Finale for three, that's going to get you like a removal spell and like a deck filtering card of your choice for cheap or Curse or Phoenix Ease all by its lonesome as it's always done. But I think having the ability to get that sorcery speed damage-based removal or Planeswalker interaction is really strong. You know, the sideboard of, I think what's interesting about the sideboard options and is it is one, I think the selection of blue counter magic is pretty strong in Explorer slash Pioneer because, you know, you get things like, I mean, the Disdainful Stroke has been a house for me in the dozens of games, uh, matches I've played with this this deck. Uh, I think it takes care of a lot of the high mana value cards that people are trying to do to go over the top or to reclaim the board. And because there's no uh, Supreme Verdict, you can take care of any kind of sweeper that an opponent's saving to try to clear out a couple Crackling Drakes or three creatures you have on your side or something like that. It takes care of all sorts of high-powered Planeswalkers. Yeah. One thing I just want to know really quick while we're talking about sideboard is we talked a little bit about Thing in the Ice just now and about maybe having that your sideboard. That's not available in Explorer. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it, like you can't even play it. it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm saying yeah. Like it could like once it's printed into the format, then yeah, that could be a consideration for sure. And you know, of course, you can do your spell pierces. You can do your mystical disputes. You can do your braids, which can handle like grease fang or mayhem devil or annoying artifacts that get to the board. You can grind harder with like ox of agonis. Whatever you think fits the meta, or many things you think fit the meta, you're gonna have you're gonna have some kind of option to them, even in just is it colors that I think have a lot of, there's a lot of value there in the, in this, in this deck. And so all of that sort of comes together to be a deck that everyone knows about. Right? But I think what the reason I'm actually talking about this is I think like playing Phoenix kind of for the first time, actually sticking with it and being like in this powered format, what is playing this deck actually feel like for someone who does not gravitate towards decks like these. And I think what playing this deck felt like was pretty good because I like evasion. I like the value that the threats bring to the table. I like the way to dig through my deck for hate cards and removal and things like that. And then you get to feel smart when you counter someone's spell, you know, it's like the most obvious thing in the world. It's not like I'm, you know, it's, it's just like playing, playing a, a threat one turn later, just because you're like, I need to keep up this counter spell. Yeah. This is obvious stuff. This is obvious counter magic and, and, fairly obvious gameplay sequencing. But then when it actually works, you feel like, oh, I'm you know, that worked exactly like I planned. And that feels pretty that feels pretty cool. Yeah, Shane, it does feel pretty cool. Feels pretty yeah. cool. I love this. That's the best part to me though, is him him saying, now I know how to counterspell. <laughs> Do I that's though? great. Do I? I, I? I am curious. You said that the deck felt good. Can can I just get like a quick snapshot of like what were the matchups that you felt you're yeah. doing best in versus worst in, maybe? Um, best in, I would say, like, I don't know how Rakdos Sack can beat this deck. Like, I, I just don't know. Like, unless it draws, like, all the all the fatal pushes exactly when it needs it and then has 
you can turn on you can turn on uh, revolt really easily in the sack decks, and then you know you just get enough threats down. You stick and and I don't remove like your uh, mayhem devil, and then you kind of are able to do enough. But like if you're trying to mope around with like a bunch of one one constructs or whatever, and like trying to just like drain gain super slowly with like the anvil plan, it's just not going to work. Like because I'm attacking the air. And I, I that was like one of the most lopsided matchups I've had in a super long time was like where my Rakdos sacrifice uh, uh, decks. I think one of the ones that was really annoying was Grease Fang, because you don't have a huge suite of instant speed removal or creature based counter spells, and so you're not you don't have a great way to get rid of that namesake creature of the deck. And then they have so many ways of like recurring it that stresses that removal again, in the same way that you're stressing other decks with, and their removal with your Arclight Phoenixes and things like that. But having an Arclight Phoenix come back from the graveyard is a lot less powerful than like a Perhelion 2 coming back out of the graveyard from Grease Fang or something like that. So I don't know, like Azorius Control and other decks that kind of want to go big late game, like Fires of Invention, those have felt fine because like, like I was getting at earlier is I think you can you can interact with their big spells with your counter magic and you can kind of try to predict what they're going for and just play slowly enough and be patient. And that's something that I learned a lot with this deck is just like, look, you're not going to have fast matches. And that's kind of an actual weakness for me of the deck is like, you just want to have, if you want to just play some magic and just have like a match or two in like 45 minutes of gameplay, then this is a good deck. I think it's very strong. I think it has good matchups in the, against the field right now. And I think it's, it's good, but you don't get to play a lot of games. So you have to really like going to like turn nine, turn 10, turn 11 in all of your games and across you know, usually two or three, you know, two or three uh, games in your matches. And in fact, in all of them, there are either two or three. So then you have to enjoy that and you have to want to play slow, thoughtful, methodical, take over the end game, you know, inevitability style decks. And that's not typically my go-to. Like I prefer more proactive. I prefer to ask more direct questions. I prefer to have creatures that are doing something perhaps a bit more interesting than just sort of cycling through my deck or just being really big, like a crackling Drake, but winning is yeah. also fun. It, it's interesting. It's a different, it's, it's a different take because, you know, in the formats where you have access to faithless looting, like historic, you can get kind of aggro with, with this, exactly. you know, and you, just, and, you just and, can't do it. You're not putting like two Phoenixes down on turn four or anything like that. And even in Pioneer, where you have access to Temporal Trespass with Galvanic Iteration to be able to do like some really wild, like, hey, I'm going to bring my Phoenixes back and then I'm going to have three turns in a row. It still can feel kind of aggro combo-y, like spells-based combo there. So it's interesting to hear that, A, Explorer is pretty good. In, like it's pretty good in Explorer still, even without all the tools that it has access to, because you know it's still a strong card, a strong payoff. It's got good supporting, good supporting cast, and so um, you know I don't always feel like Phoenix is like a grindy deck, you know what I mean? But it definitely can be yeah. that, and so it's interesting to see it be that in this format right now at this moment. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like almost all my matches felt like grindfests, just like a lot, yeah. a lot of I'm going to stick 
a crackling drake and kill you because we just we we petered out to that point and then i held up some counter magic in case he tried to remove it or cast something huge or anything like that so yeah i think long story short um i'm gonna keep playing this but it's it's almost like i want to find something that's a little bit faster <laughs> just to, just to get a few more matches in like to feel like i'm accomplishing something like it's hard yeah. it's hard to like you know jump on the phone in bed and before going to sleep and being like, I'm going to start one game and it's like, you know, 1045 or something like that. And like, I'm, I'm still finishing up game three of my match and it's like, Oh God, I wish this just ended. But right. 1130. <laughs> you're like, I'm finishing this match. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, wife. I, I did. I don't know why I started this before dinner. So just, you know, just concede. It's fine. It's just the latter. So I mean, this, this is definitely something I think I'd probably rather play a league with. Like if I was just like, I'm, I'm going to do like a high value, uh, experience and maybe just find something that's like slightly more aggressive if I really do feel like laddering up to diamond for some reason or something like that. But yeah, it's a cool deck. If you have not played a Phoenix deck before, I think this is a cool and fun version of it. I would recommend it for any player, especially one who likes you know being able to, to, to filter through things and find answers and be able to counter a spell now and then. But if not, you know, that's cool. It's not necessarily what I thought I would like, but it's definitely, it's, it's been nice to have a little bit of a breakthrough uh, with, with Is It Phoenix and Ledger Shredder and things like that. So, And now you finally like all five colors of magic. I, I would love to hear you say, Shane, or perhaps... Say, say you like it, Shane. Say you like all five colors. No, tell us you like it. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear you maybe try like the Pioneer Prowess deck from the Sunday Pio Challenge. And, and kind of compare and contrast the two. He played that oh, last week. Oh, yeah, I played it last week, right? Yeah, yeah I was playing yeah. that. It's a great deck. The Prowess deck is uh, it, way cooler. It's way more aggressive. It's way more mistyle. Uh, I have not played any of the Pioneer Phoenix decks. Mm. So, the I mean, I think it, it's, a, it's a drastically different feeling deck in terms of pace and spell type and the way that it plays, so... But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play it again. Don't worry, Stan. I'm playing that Is a, that is a Prowess deck. I, I almost cool. have all. It's almost all built. My uh, full art pathways came today. Our our master plan of of finally being a show that's only about is it decks or is it adjacent decks is one step closer. Kind of rename the yeah. pod. The is it adjacency? <laughs> is it good? Is it terrible? <laughs> well, fun. Uh, D- Dave, do you have a deck to talk about? A deck of cards playing with my kids at the picnic table at the campground. Played a lot of Sushi Go this weekend yeah. at oh, the really? campground. Yeah, are your kids good at that? No, they no, they they can't gra- they can't draft at all. They're terrible at it. <laughs> they they probably love yelling sushi go. Isn't that one of the rules of the game? Like you actually have to yell no. it. I think it's not like Uno. when you have the chops. When you have the chopsticks, it says you're supposed to yell it. Yes, I haven't had a chance to play any magic this week. All right, before we go, guys, can I just crack this pack on Mike? I, I've been holding yeah. it for like six is that, hours. Is that a collector's you, pack? It's a set. set Boring. I, you know, I just don't. I, I can't not buy booster packs. It's my weak, my greatest weakness. I hate buying draft boosters. Where are like you finding them anymore? Like, where do you go that has that has boosters? Do you shop at Target? Uh, in this case, I I went to that new LGS that I was talking about. Oh yeah, I wish with, I had one of those around the corner with the the twenty dollar Pioneer decks. When I took my little afternoon skate in the sun, David, my Target does not have like any card game products anymore. Oh wow, it's really annoying. So yeah. we got we got a Gold Hound. We got uh, what that next card okay, is? Yeah, so we got Goldhound, we got Chrome Cat, a cat and a dog. Cool. 
Exhibition Magician, Light Em Up. Light em that up. card did not turn into anything. Freelance Muscle, Rhino Warrior. Okay. Dave's nickname. Cleanup Crew. This this could be a good hit for Winota. 6-6 six, six, Human Citizen. I've done so. Destroy Artifact Enchantment. Blah, blah, blah. Stimulus Package. Love those. But not in magic, just in real life. My art card is Rakish Revelers. Ooh. Rakish. 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 Yeah, rakish is the word. Yeah. yeah whatever. That's my that other art card one. is Corpse Appraiser. Good corpse. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> my first Three out of rare, five stars. <laughs> my first rare. You can slap four or five other bodies in this corpse. All right. My first rare, assuming I have more, Black Market Tycoon. Whiff. Uh, it's ginger brute weird hey I, I got a list card exquisite blood oh, oh that is that's not worth a lot that is that's, the, that's worth a crap ton of money that is the biggest one of the biggest ones on the list i think it's like a 25 dollars. of card. course stan, stan got that exquisite blood of course i did i mean i had to get through a foil brokers initiate to get to it yeah the the avison restored version is like 30 30 bucks ish it's a big edh card yeah there you go you you made your pack worth it heck yeah this this is why I tell the listeners, always buy packs. <laughs> well, that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. You can also leave ratings on Spotify. If you'd like to submit a question or just reach out to us in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word. You can also email the dive down at gmail.com. You can also support the show over at our Patreon patreon.com slash the dive down get in there shout out to mana traders for sponsoring the dive down you sign up for mana traders using promo code the dive down 15 all one word you'll get 15 percent off your first two months of renting magic online cards you heard that right we have a new promo code it's the dive down 15 unfortunately that means we no longer have the same code between mana traders and barrister and man the code at barrister and man is still the dive down 2022 Use that to get 15% off your first order of your shaving, grooming, and fragrance products over at Barrister and Man. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and buy more Booster Packs! Booster Packs!